You're listening to Metrics and Chill, where you'll learn how to improve key metrics that grow your business from companies that have done it before. In this episode, I got to sit down with Jonathan Bland, co-founder of OmniLab Consulting, to learn how they improved lead to opportunity conversion rate from 25% to 74% for one of their clients. You'll learn specifically how they help clients target niche audiences for better conversion, the main lagging indicators they track while they're generating demand for clients, how they refine ad messaging to better resonate with the target audience, how they use retargeting to build trust with past visitors, the booking flow that they've found works the best, and a ton more. This was such a fun, really value-packed interview. I really hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Jonathan, thank you so much uh, for making this happen. I've been looking forward to chatting with you, like I said before hitting the record button. Um, I know you by your prank, your pink background profile image only, so <laughs> it's exciting to meet you and, and see your face in real life. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, great to be here. Um, so, you know, we start off every episode. Can you kind of give a short rundown, like a 30-second rundown of what OmniLab Consulting is, uh, just yeah. for anyone who's not aware or doesn't follow you yet on LinkedIn? Yeah, for sure. So, uh, so we're a demand gen agency. At the end of the day, work with only B two B SaaS clients uh, is our our niche. That's kind of where I've spent the whole of my career and everyone on our team. And the biggest thing that we typically land with with just about every client, uh, minus a few exceptions, is pipeline and or revenue. So typically, there's a aligned goal around that. We're trying to influence that metric over anything else. So it's usually not about the number or quantity of leads. And the really big thing for us always that I always say in terms of just perspective and the way we think about things is. We, we make sure that we're actually optimizing for what's happening in the CRM, right? So that means that mm. if I've got a keyword on search, it's converting well, there's available impression share, I don't necessarily just spend more money on that keyword. I wait and I take a look at the CRM and understand, hey, for the conversions that are coming from this keyword, do they end up converting to revenue? And I do, we do this through all, all sorts of ways across channels. Um, so that's the big thing for us. And obviously just moving fiction at any, any point in time, but, uh, but yeah, it's a little bit about us. We're all in the U S remote team and, um, yeah. I love it. Yeah. Like I told you, I was listening to one of your other interviews and I love what you said about looking at it in the CRM. Cause, um, you know, for listeners who obviously haven't checked out your interview on, uh, let me pull up where it was here on full funnel. Full funnel. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. If you, if you haven't go check out Jonathan's interview on, on the full funnel podcast, but, um, it's, it's really interesting. I love what you said because your point was uh, most or a lot of agencies are optimizing for cost per click or something like that within the ad platform itself. So they're like, oh, good, we're getting more leads and paying less for them. But that doesn't necessarily indicate that that's driving revenue or that those leads are the best fit. So you're waiting till you're kind of proving the keyword. I, one of them was like keywords, like you're, you're, you're figuring out the keywords they're searching or like which, which ads are actually driving revenue or getting to a later stage in your pipeline. And then those yeah. are the ones that then you're willing to pay a little bit more for those. It's not necessarily about the cheapest. It's about yeah actually driving revenue. The, the only caveat, I guess, to all this, and I had a post on this, I think uh, two weeks ago or something like that is I think, you know, sometimes you can go too far with obsessing over like one ad, one campaign, one channel leading to revenue. I think that in the world of B2B, like there's not a really strong reality that that's the case, right? It's not like I saw one Facebook ad, right? I went to the landing page and then I just converted. True. So now will Facebook track it and, uh, you know, in the platform? Yeah, of course they will. And, you know, HubSpot will grab it or Salesforce will grab it depending on your setup. And then of course you'll know, hey, it came from Facebook. But we all know that there were other things that happened in that journey, uh, almost for sure. 
um, even a D2C motion for that matter too. So you've got to think about, you know, I don't just see a pair of shoes and immediately buy them. I go read a blog about them, read some reviews and all sorts of things, right? So even in that motion, there's there's steps to it. But uh, but yeah, 100%. Yeah, we're definitely aligned with trying to do the best we can. And I think search is always lends itself to be a little bit easier in that realm to mm-hmm. say, all right, great. You know, we got a high intent campaign or a competitor campaign running. These are the keywords we're going after. We can track that very easily into the CRM. Okay, perfect. What happened next? And that's that's the question we're always trying to ask. And, um, you know, we've seen multiple times where we're spending, <clears throat> companies will come in, we'll be spending tens of thousands of dollars on keywords that may be driving conversions, but none of them end up uh, turning into pipeline. And frankly, mm-hmm. the sales team sitting there saying like, hey, these aren't qualified leads at all. Um, you know, we're, we don't really want to even go after them. So it's like just doing that little extra step. And it's not like it's a huge effort, you know, just kind of going in there and taking a look around. Yeah. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, so we like you said in the beginning, when customers are coming to you there, you align with them on pipeline and revenue. I'm guessing there's other things that like, uh, there's more diversity among the clients that you'll take on and, but like, they've got to kind of be committed to like, Hey, we're going to move the needle on this. So I guess what the question is, am I reading this right or understanding you right yeah. when you say this, like it, yeah. you want to make sure you're not taking on clients that are going to be like, why the last agency we hired drove thousands of leads and you only drove a few hundred. Right, you right. want them to be patient, come in with the right mindset to wait and see it proven through to revenue. Yeah. I think it's more like, aligning on the on the perspective that we have on what we want to optimize for in the beginning we'll work with companies for example that are driving like all gated content legion forms only right and they still have a model where they're measured on those being called nqls and they still want to drive more of those but they're aligned with the idea that we want to move towards optimizing more towards pipeline and revenue so it's not necessarily us coming in and like ripping the band-aid and saying all right scrap all of the campaigns that you've been running. MQLs are going to completely tank in the way that they define them. Um, we're, we're usually not doing that type of setup. If a company has that type of motion, we're coming in and saying, all right, we will agree that this is what we should be working towards and let's phase it out into approaches and build out, you know, an experimental campaign and start trying to get some results off of that, see how it affects the aggregate results, et cetera. So that's okay. usually how we approach it. But yeah, hundred percent from the beginning, there's usually that alignment that, Hey, ultimately, you know, we don't necessarily want a pile of leads. We just want leads that are high quality, that fit your ICP and convert to pipeline well. Now, are you so. helping them? I, I'm going to nerd out on this a little bit and get a little bit yeah, distracted. I'll, I'll no, make sure it. I bring myself back. Are you helping them? You you alluded in the, in the interview I was referring to. Uh, yeah. To it sounds like you do a little bit of help with the product side or like some of the ICP. Like, is it a is it a qualification that someone has to have their ICP fairly locked in to come work with you, or mm-hmm. if they don't, will you sort of use paid as a way to sort of see what gets the best response or best conversions, and then help yeah. them refine it by quantitative uh, attributes? Both. I mean, yeah, I think I mean, we usually work with between like seed to all the way to Series C and sometimes even some bigger ones now, some Series E companies as well that we're working with. But generally for the smaller ones, let's talk about that for a second in terms of like targeting and, and segmentation, stuff like that and ICP. Um, most of them are still figuring it out to some degree. Like they kind of know that like generally the most of our businesses come from this segment, but there's still not enough data points to maybe feel fully confident where it's like, hey, we'll just go all in on the strategy and focus completely all in it. So a lot of times, yeah, we're running usually their audience tests. And I think there's kind of a 
format that we follow for how we do testing, but usually we'll start with audience first, right? So if there's any question about the audience not being potentially locked in, we start there in terms of testing. Okay. And then we work our way down into say image, creative, message, offer, et cetera, in that order. Because if you don't get the audience and the targeting right from the beginning, none of the stuff you do below it even matters, right? So, right. Uh, so that's the big thing for us. But yeah, short answer to your question is 100%. We, um, we definitely try to lock in with, with clients that better understand their ICP. I, a lot of times I'll suggest too, if you're too early stage, sometimes it's not the best and most efficient way to, to do paid media is to sit there and spend a lot of dollars trying to figure out who your ICP is. So if you're really early and you have kind of no clue, which honestly is scary and how you even started the company in the first place, but uh, it happens. Uh, but at any rate, you know, the point is, is like, if you're at that stage, I think there's more efficient channels where you could probably do some testing and just get a little more data, some more wins under your belt, and then start putting some money into paid once you feel a little bit more confident because... Google, LinkedIn, Facebook, they can all get pretty expensive pretty quick. So now are, is there a rough number of how many uh, qualifiers or attributes you see like a range that there's like maximum efficacy for ICP? So for example, like a lot of like even early stage companies could probably say, okay, we're B2B and we know that we are best served, like we best serve this revenue amount or this company size, would that be enough? Or do you feel like, is there a maximum efficacy of sort of like, yeah, once you know size, industry, um, and, and like, you know, like how narrow does it need to be for the, sort of the efficacy that you see with these ads? Or can it be a little bit broader if, if they're intentionally trying to serve a broader audience? <clears throat> well, I mean, ultimately the goal is to focus where they're going to be more successful. So I suppose if there's still a stage when they're not quite sure who their ideal client profile is and they need a little bit more time, then yes, we would start broad initially, do audience testing across a couple of different campaigns, depending on what budget they had and how much money we could spend on, on those tests. And then we would try to learn very quickly, all right, what are the either industries, titles, like whatever we're testing for, right? Um, that are engaging more with the ads and or converting and are consuming more of the content if we're distributing content, things of that nature. Pass that data back. So if it's LinkedIn we're running, we're looking at that demographic report all day long, trying to understand, all right, who's engaging? What are they doing? What are they saying? Looking at HubSpot, saying, all right, who are the uh, titles that are coming in? From what geos? Um, from what industries and all that, right? Uh, or Salesforce. And, um, and then ultimately the goal is the quicker we can get down, I think this kind of rolls into part of our conversation that I know we're going to get to, but in terms of like lead opportunity conversion rate, where the more, especially when you've got, I mean, say you've got a budget of like 10 to $20,000 in, in advertising or something like that, something small, um, you've got to really funnel that money into ultimately the best converting segment. There's maybe your TAM that's say a million or let's not use a realistic number. Say that your TAM's like 20,000 accounts. So you got 20,000 accounts that could be a potential customer for you. We don't, we might not be able to go after all of them right away. So let's figure out the segments within that 10,000 of which are better to put our money because then we'll be able to get more reach, more frequency, and likely better results because we push more of our money down to a given segment. Plus our messaging is going to be better aligned with them. So that's kind of like the, the stages that we're trying to work. We're trying to say, all right, we're either starting a little bit broad or if they feel really confident on the audience, then we're, they're just starting in stage two. Um, uh, or if not, then we're just, you know, saying, all right, we're going to take the time, start a little bit broad, narrow it down. Perfect. Got a, a segment that's really working and then double down on that and then increase budget until we reach a cap where you feel like, all right, we've really tapped out this audience. Let's now expand it to the next one where we feel like it's the next opportunity. Okay. 
yeah, makes a ton of sense. Um, now, like, so you, you said we're going to be talking mostly about uh, improving the lead to opportunity conversion rate and how you all look to do that for clients. What, yeah. and besides that and sort of actual revenue, what are a couple other like key metrics that for every client, regardless, you're sort of keeping an eye on and trying to move the needle on? So the big ones are demos for sales led, trials for product led, uh, then it's pipeline, lead to op, as you just mentioned. So clearly we're always looking at that. Um, and then opt to revenue as well. Although we don't get too into trying to optimize the funnel once it's in the opportunity cycle, we'll comment, we'll advise to an extent, but usually we leave up that for the head of sales and sales mm -hmm. operations team. Um, then it's CAC payback, which is usually always an important one. Not so much um, LTV and like looking at like CAC to LTV ratios, because a lot of times early on, like you don't even have the data to really calculate some of those accurately. So, so usually it's just CAC payback to start and then revenue. So those, okay. those are the big ones in terms of like more lagging indicators. And of course, as you know, I mean, there's all the leading indicators that are still important, right? We can't ignore those. You still have to get enough impressions, enough clicks, enough engagement, et cetera, on, on an ad to ultimately drive those lagging indicators. So clearly we're looking at those two, but the ones I just mentioned are the primary ones we've got reports built out around or trying to optimize for. And is there like a benchmark uh, that you've learned over the years with with the correlation between leading and some of the lagging? Like, do you generally know like, oh, once something gets this much engagement or this many uh, impressions or whatever, we, we generally know mm. that's gonna be effective. Like, mm. like, can you tell anything? Because what you're doing is you've got buy-in from the client, obviously, and there's trust there and you've right. hopefully like aligned. So they're trusting you through the revenue, but there can be some time in that. I know you were saying in the interview, we can talk about this uh, yeah. in your other interview that like you're not seeing conversions or leads signing up right within LinkedIn in this example, right? If it's not paid search. So there's sort of this like trust period where I would imagine they, you know, they've consumed it. You've, they've, they, you've seen these leading indicators, then they've kind of gone dark for a while and maybe they're chatting in Slack with their right. coworkers about it, or they're coming right. to your website direct a few times before they maybe want to book a demo. Exactly. So are there sort of like benchmark ideas you have of like how leading correlates to pipeline or is it really different depending on like the client and the audience that they're looking at? It's tough because it's not perfectly black and white, but I guess I'll give you an example. I mean, one one indicator certainly of not only engagement with the content and messaging that we look at, well, there's two things. One, we we always look at click-through to a degree. Uh, click-through is not the end-all be-all though, right? And there's um, a lot of people talking about this on LinkedIn and we think the same way, which is um, there's still a lot of opportunity to optimize for in-channel consumption. And, and thinking about how you get more consumption of the content inside the channel, meaning that, that- That would be like pure impressions of your video or something or of your ad. Yeah, it might be like you got a video and that video has been, you know, 75% of the people watched it all the way through, something like that. Okay. Or the, you know, like a portion of people watch 75% of your video rather. Uh, or it might be using a, um, you know, a carousel ad um, and telling a story more through that. Uh, it might be, you know, taking a static image ad and putting like the actual highlight or something of value. I think Gong's done this a couple of times with some of their ads where the ebook or the guide or the blog or the thing that's sending people to, they just take out like the core highlight, the thing that like everyone wants and they just throw it in the creative. So mm -hmm. if you were interested, it kind of acts as the hook to get you over to the blog. If you didn't feel like clicking and you're just like, oh, got it. Oh, that's really interesting. I didn't know that if I cuss more on my sales calls that I close more, right? Or whatever. They've done some crazy, some crazy experiments at Gong. 
But, uh, but anyway, those are some things that we definitely look at. And I don't know if I could say like in all accounts that we've worked across that there's some significant correlation, but the big thing is if there's a high CTR on, on a message or on an ad, if there is good content consumption, so usually we'll set up custom conversions to see how much of the content they actually consumed, right? Did they, did they skip off the page or did they actually get down about halfway and kind of stay on the page for a little bit, those types of things. And if we're seeing that the content is getting more engagement, people are consuming more of it, well, then ultimately what we're seeing over time is that there are more high intent leads coming into the funnel is what we're seeing in almost every case. Um, you know, obviously there's exceptions to this, right? Because the exceptions would be content's just not resonating. It's just not good. Um, and those things, and when it's not, then obviously you're not going to see that lift in the back end. So all of this really depends on like, how good's your content? How well is it aligned with the audience? And then ultimately those are the things we're looking at kind of on the front end leading indicator wise on a channel like LinkedIn or Facebook. Okay. Okay. That's super so, helpful. Um, yeah. all right. So diving in then to lead to opportunity conversion rate. Uh, mm -hmm. Before we get into how you're actually like the framework you're using to move the needle on it, is there is there any work your agency needs to do to align with a diverse set of customers on what opportunity means? Like, is this <laughs> is this an mm -hmm. SQO? I would I would imagine that there is, uh, you know, um, maybe a bunch of different different companies mean different things by this. So is there like a definition you encourage them to use? Do you work with, with what they consider an opportunity and kind of align to that? How does, how does that work? Yeah, it's a difficult one. I mean, typically we start by just trying to understand like, Hey, what is the definition of an opportunity for you guys? How do you define it? Some will say, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. We're kind of figuring it out. We're not, we're not quite sure. You know, others will say, oh, we use band criteria, you know, budget, authority, need, timing. If it meets those criteria, that's an op. Others are creating ops right off a demo and uh, stage three or four is when they start actually calling that an opportunity because it's moved far enough down the funnel. For us, ultimately for me, I kind of subscribe and this comes a little bit from my sales background to a degree, but I, I subscribe to kind of a portion of band, not as much like the budget part, but ultimately if we're talking to the right person, they've got a need and there's good timing around it, meaning they're going to buy within a buying window of, depending on the buying cycle, let's say it's a three month sales cycle. So somewhere between like three, four months, then ultimately like we want to convert that opportunity. We want to get that into uh, get that into a sales cycle. And for us, we're just calling that like stage one. At that point, that's pipeline creation. Now, again, the, the only issue is that sometimes if you've got a pipeline or the, the SaaS company's got this robust tracking um, system for looking at, all right, as soon as they came in and downloaded an ebook, somehow they're getting created as an opportunity. I've seen this before. Or now they've moved and they consumed some other content. And then now they ask for a demo and so on and so forth. And obviously you need to kind of move further down the funnel and then really judge the success of that. But for most of our, like 90% of our clients, like no one does that. It's just, all right. They're meeting authority, need timing at minimum. So we know these are good these are good people. Got it. Okay. So so yeah, that's kind of how we think about it. But I think your other question was like, do we like do we try to influence that and set that up and tell them like what it should be? We do, but ultimately we're almost always talking with marketers. So it kind of becomes like a get in the head of sales question and then have a big debate there. So usually we don't push it too far. We kind of give our recommendations, say, hey, here's how we want to look at it, because we want to make sure that we're also not optimizing for things that are really aren't opportunities. In that example where I mentioned they might be creating things too early in the funnel and we're sitting here saying, hey, things are great. Things are awesome. Look at all these ops and they're really not ops. So things right. like that. But right. we'll definitely give our definition and um, of where we think things should be and then it's kind of up to them to decide how they want to implement it from there. Okay. 
But um, yeah. Yeah. So, so I guess break this down however you want to approach it. Um, but how do you, <laughs> yeah. how do you work to move the needle? Like, like, yeah. Start, start me like at the beginning. Yeah. For lead to operate. Right. We're talking. Yeah. About, yeah. 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 So at least I'll, so I'll give it like in the context of this, uh, this client we worked with. So the, the, the absolute first step, and I think we've already kind of talked about it a little bit, at least this first part is, um, the, the biggest thing was just kind of getting targeting locked in. And for them, they were targeting a combination of enterprise, mid-market, and SMB in the beginning before they even started with us. So they're targeting a lot of different people. Audience sizes were huge. I think they were in the millions uh, at some point oh, on like wow. LinkedIn, Facebook, and whatnot. So tons of people, not a lot of budget. So the reach was small, all sorts of things. But the first thing was saying, all right, well, where have we had success in the past? Where do you have case studies? Where do you have social proof? Where do you have quotes? Like, where are those? Where's the, where's the bulk of that? And you know what we found is most of that came from around 10 to 50 employees. But they were targeting, you know, whole bunches of company sizes way bigger than them. And the reason this is also so important is because, again, like I mentioned, when you got a small budget, you've got to funnel that budget into a focused uh, a niche um, and start there and then build it out into something a little bit bigger. Otherwise, you just wash your budget across a massive swath of either geography or industry or whatever it may be or different company sizes, et cetera. So that was the big thing. And the other reason that's so important, too, is when you think about it, if I'm like running an advertising campaign, and in my retargeting layer, I'm running social proof and other things of validation to kind of remove some uncertainty. If those logos are a little bit familiar and those logos look like me, for example, like, oh, wow, like my competitor uses that. Or, oh, I'm kind of like that company. We're about the same size. I mean, maybe this would be a good fit for me. Those things create the context needed to drive a better conversion rate through the funnel, to ultimately get more leads, but also then to remove some uncertainty. So as people are moving through the funnel, they're like, oh, yeah, okay, I get it. Like, You've already worked with like five, 10, 20, 100 other companies that look like me. So that's the really important thing. And that immediately starts driving, obviously, better engagement on the ads themselves. You're focused more. And then obviously, you've got people that are getting to your website and now seeing the case studies, seeing the social proof, seeing the testimonials, learning about the messaging and all the things that you're saying on your website that hopefully aligns better with that segment. And then everything just starts working better. Now, did we revamp their website and totally regear it? No, we didn't. You know, we, we kind of... There's, there's always a line, I guess, in terms of how far we can go on our side in terms of right. what we're doing from a paid media perspective, clearly. So I saw myself but, there. That's one point. And we you probably, if you want to riff on this for a second or two. we I just think, I think it's super smart and intuitive. Like it just seems like you're basically finding where they've had definitive past success. Like you say, rather than kind of trying to target like all these areas or, you know, amid all these qualifications, you're looking at where they've had past successes and you're finding the the common threads between them. And in this example, it's like, okay, most were 10 to 50 employees. So we can immediately like start allotting spend there and be a little bit more hyper-focused. And you know, if they are publishing case studies or like featuring those logos on the homepage, then it's making me think two things. Like one, uh, they kind of have some idea that this is a better customer. Like even if they haven't yeah, articulated right. that, they've kind exactly. of are showing that. And then I would imagine it's also more effective for the ads themselves. I know one thing you are a big believer in is like, make sure that if your homepage doesn't match the creative that you're driving yeah. and like the messaging, then create a new yeah. landing page because you can, don't want people to feel like they've landed in the wrong URL when yeah. they, when they click over. So, um, so I would imagine there's a bit of like, that's just nice continuity. Like they read the ad, they come over and it's like, Oh, there's like you say, there's logos. Exactly. That look like mine. Yeah. 
Well, even ideally, you don't necessarily need to change or have a landing page. You just, I mean, assuming the website is got good messaging, right? And we're not necessarily positioning a messaging agency. We have our kind of thought process on how we build out landing pages and write copy and all things. But ultimately, we leave that to our clients. But you just have to think about like, ultimately, if we've got a really good message on the website, right, on the on a feature page or sub page, depending on how many pages they have built out, let's just match creative against a page that already exists on the website. And then you can save your trouble of building out a separate landing page. Now, if it's in the case of search, clearly search kind of lends itself obviously way better to building out lots of different landing pages Sure. and saying, all right, great. You know, I've got all these different ad groups, et cetera. And I need obviously for these different ads based on the keywords we're bidding on to ultimately align with that, the landing page. So there's things that situations like that, but ultimately I'm kind of a believer in trying best to use the current website as is. And then if we're testing, obviously then that presents landing page things are, Hey, like we're not happy with the headline. We're not kind of sure if this message is right. Hey, great. Let's run a test. Let's see, you know, and let's send maybe just paid traffic, not all traffic to uh, two different pages and see what happens. And yeah. uh, we learn a lot from that. And it's so interesting, especially headline testing. It's just so, it's crazy. You could do all these things on the website, but just headline testing and the sub headline, you get those two things right. Um, I mean, that could make worlds of difference in conversion rate. Uh, and that was yeah. one of the things we did early on with them is, is did some tests on that with a uh, some of their website pages and, um, you know, pass those recommendations through that ultimately they, they stuck with. So that's awesome. Yeah. I think it was, yeah. uh, I, I read somewhere, uh, Dave Garhart was saying like, write your says like, write your website, assuming that they're only going to read the headlines. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. start, start there. Well, it's like, like it's like any post, right? Like, I mean, you read the first sentence and if you're still interested, then you read the second and then the right. third and the fourth. Right. So you don't right. necessarily just scam a whole, you know, skim a whole page. I kind of like to think about it. There's a methodology that we like to use with headlines. This may be helpful for people listening, but usually what I'll start with is like write out the words like I want, and then in your buyer's shoes, write out what they want, right? What is the thing that they're desiring, the outcome that they're looking for and write that out. And then if you just remove the I want and change the pronoun you to you instead of like, you know, I, right. then uh, all of a sudden you've got probably a pretty good headline that resonates better. And then the subheadline is all about, all right, well, you know, who's it for? What does it do? And how does it benefit me? And, mm. you know, get those three questions answered in some way, very short, very concise. And like, to me, that, that kind of answers the question. There's so many people that love to, it's so much abstract stuff and, you know, the best this, the first of this and all this stuff. Like, just tell me what it is. What, what does it do? Yeah. <laughs> That's all I want to know. I know. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's that balance. I've, I've been thinking about this recently. Um, like everyone talks so much about like value driven. I totally get that. Like I totally get yeah. like, you know, start with the end in mind. But I like when I when I was writing copy uh, for the news site at, at a previous company, like we I, like you go through this exercise and you're like, I can say it's possible to say all the value was still missing. Like, but what are you like? What does it do? And it's exactly it's that blend of finding both, you know, it's like because you still want to know, like they are, they are coming in mind with like, I'm looking for this thing. Tell me that you're right. this thing first so that I know then, you know, tell me the value that you get. So, you know, yeah, the right order of things would obviously I'm, I'm sure depend. But yeah, yeah in marketing, there's never like a, a sole black and white answer to this. It's always, you know, be testing and ultimately let your audience decide. Right. Yeah. And uh, you go back and forth forever internally. So awesome. Yeah, it's tough. I love it. So, okay. So step one, you started by refining their targeting. They were going really wide uh, yep. and you, you know, reverse engineered who their best clients were already sort of. Uh, and then you narrowed in the focus there. So what, what came after that? 
Yeah. So the next thing was uh, we took a look at, um, and some of this didn't happen quite in like a step one, step two. Some of it was almost a little bit all at the, all same, at the same time, time. Uh, some of it. Um, but another big thing was they were, um, they had set up just a calendar tool. Uh, I believe it was Calendly at the time, I think. I don't think it was Chili Piper. They implemented that later. But they were just doing complete Calendly only. And um, I'm, we're a big fan. I've I've been yet to pr- been proven. Maybe, I don't know if you guys, I haven't looked at Databox's site in a while. I forget what you guys do. But um, at least for all the different SaaS companies we've worked with, I've always found the best combination starting with a very simple form and then moving them to a calendar invite. And And the reason for that is because Sometimes there's just a group of people that when you do get to that page, you need to, it creates just a little bit more friction, which one could say increases the quality, which I would agree to a degree. But it means that, all right, here's a, a calendar of some open times that work. Now I've got to go to my calendar and I've got to see if it works for me and mm. see what's going on there. So now I've gone off page into another tab and now I'm looking at my calendar and I've gotten distracted. You know, now I'm onto something else, right? right? So I think a lot of times we'll see that there's fall off and we've experimented both ways. We've taken people from form to a calendar booking tool and and the other way. Um, and this was one of the big things we did initially to ultimately drive more conversions in of the right people, right? So it was like targeting and now we need to still drive more. So we haven't even gotten to kind of like get to opportunity conversion yet. I think this is all kind of important in my mind. Um, but that was a big thing. So so it was form to Calendly at one point and then, then it really ended up to be formed to Chili Piper. And, and ultimately that ended up driving a whole lot more of the right conversions. So ultimately the traffic that we were sending to the site uh, from LinkedIn, from Facebook, from the other channels we were using uh, started to convert a lot better. And because we had targeted and focused down on the right people, well, now we've got, all right, now we got the ICP fit. We got the people that are uh, aligning with the segment we identified was the best fit for us right now. And um, so now we can kind of move into the stage two. So that was kind of the the next step. And then from there was really, all right, how do we start honing in on the messaging a little bit more? Uh, and this one is really tough because they didn't have a product marketing team at the time. Uh, so they were kind of relying on a combination of like us and their VP of marketing, I think it was, and their co-founder. So this was v- very early on when they started. Um, and it was uh, a big conversation of really just trying to organize the data. So we have a spreadsheet that we use internally that just kind of breaks down like, all right, what's the situation they're in right now? Like, what's their world look like? And that may be related to pains, problems. It may just be a story. Usually we like to kind of think about it as a story like, hey, here's my world. And then the next is, all right, what questions do I have? And then what outcomes am I looking for? And with those three things, we can create a whole lot of copy, a whole lot of creative messaging and all sorts of things like that. And also content, by the way. Um, that ultimately starts aligning. So that was kind of the first step. And once we did that, then we started implementing that into the creative and started saying, okay, great. Now that we have a very good focus on this segment, and we know that these are the messages that relate to this segment that they think are going to perform the best based upon, I mean, we were using messaging from cold emails that were working well, and we were grabbing anything we could get okay. uh, at, this, at this point, uh, because they had tested a lot of stuff on cold email early on, as a lot of companies do. They start out, you know, cold emailing uh, in the beginning, sure. and then they move into more of an inbound motion. So, uh, so I'll stop myself there because that's a lot. Uh, but as you said, uh, there's some more more things. But I'm sure you've maybe got some questions or you, opinions or or what. Just um, no, this is great. I want to I want to keep the flow going for the listeners. But I do want to um, yeah. So just to clarify, without a dedicated product marketing team, was this sort of was it a combination of like gut feeling who the 
who who the executive team intended to reach and all these yeah. things or were you going into the CRM and sort of being more quantitative about it and saying well I can reverse engineer from your closed deals that you know when when we run this sort of through a filter I'm able to spit it out and say like I know you have visions to target this wide group but like really yeah. your B2B SaaS from 10 to 50 people in the US uh and the best yeah. titles that are booking calls with you are like VP of marketing like were you right. doing were you like more quantitative in CRM or were you kind of like just saying, give us everything you've got, tell us who you want to target? Like how, did, what did that process right. look like? Well, if you're talking about targeting, yeah, we definitely did that. So that exercise happened in the CRM. We hundred percent did that. We, we took a look at all a whole bunch of different headers, industry size, uh, titles, um, geography. Um, there are a handful more, uh, but those are, those are the big ones. Just like getting the basic kind of firmographic stuff. I don't think they had really had an enrichment tool to look at even technographic and a whole bunch of stuff. So we didn't complicate in the beginning. It was just nice, keep it nice and simple, firmographic. And then once we had that locked in, um, you know, then we were good and set on the targeting. But I guess back to your other thing on messaging, uh, we didn't do anything uh, necessarily too quantitative inside the CRM regarding messaging. Most of that actually just came from, I mean, <laughs> I mean, not not too technical, but uh, came from the founder's brain and, uh, yeah. you know, of his knowledge of the industry. And it also came from the sales team who had been talking to these customers and they had some recording software. I don't know if these Gong or Course or one of those. Um, but we uh, uh, they listened to a lot of those calls to kind of understand like, all right, what were people saying? What were they responding to? All sorts of things like that. Cold emails. So a lot of that was actually used to build the spreadsheet initially, um, plus just basic knowledge of them talking to their customer over and over again. So that built the kind of framework that we could use and build off of. And then, of course, test, right? And then it was like, all right, well, let's prove that, like, this is the case. You know, we kind of, we've heard these things on the calls. We know this about the industry. That's what we started the company, et cetera. Um, we've asked our current customers, all sorts of things like that, through the customer success team. So let's go out and see if, like, this is what, you know, an audience that's never heard of us wants to hear. Mm -hmm. And um, and then there was a lot of testing that went back and forth on that front. But okay. uh, but it wasn't, it was, it was messy, honestly, at first. It really wasn't as clean as I'd like. I mean, I'd love to say it was just some perfectly architected plan, but it definitely had its uh, kind of like just get shit out the door and not worry about making it perfect, but try to make it good enough so that we could learn something from it and then move on. So. Yeah. I think, I mean, there's a lot to be said for, I think the, the people that started the company and have a vision for the company usually have a fairly good sense of the problem that they're trying to solve. So that yeah, seems like should. a really should. should, yeah, should, yeah. uh, it's a really logical starting point, I think, you know, for that. So you would, you would take this then, um, gong calls, uh, emails that had worked well, uh, uh, pain points that the founders articulated wanting to solve or who they think their customers, you're translating this into messaging for the ads and then you're just beginning to, are, are these going into like full blown spend or are you like doing micro tests with this messaging before you kind of allot that? No, micro testing for sure. Yeah. Before we get like full all in. Yeah. We were hundred percent trying to test. I mean, again, we, at the time we had a small, I'm trying to think of the budget they started with. I think it was around 15,000, I think per month or something like that. Okay. Um, which scaled up to the hundreds of thousands, but, um, but at any rate it started out small. So yeah, we couldn't run, you know, 12, 15 experiments all at the same time, right? There just wasn't enough budget to drive any learning through all the different creative variations we were trying to run for any type of statistical significance, which is another important point for people, right? Like I'll, we'll walk into accounts and you'll see all this stuff being tested. And frankly, then you, and you'll see multiple variables being tested against each other. I'm like, how do, what are we learning from this? Like, I don't <laughs> even know, like you've changed the CTA, the copy, the image, and you've changed all this other stuff. So there's no way to really compare like what's really working or not. So anyway, there's, that's, I guess, to, for another podcast, but 
Um, but yeah, that answers your question. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that's kind of how we approached it. Okay. So what does it look like then? Uh, like, let's skip it. Like like you said, there's so much we could talk about here. Yeah, but I know. I know let's skip it. Uh, we'll, we'll assume now like ads are running, you know, they're driving lots of leads. Um, these leads are coming in. What, what are you doing to sort of move the needle on the opportunity, like lead to opportunity conversion rate specifically? Like now that these people are coming in, you've sort of, you've, you've, you know, soft tested this messaging, you've refined their targeting. Um, you've reverse engineered who to go find more of their best customers or who's been their best customer so far. Now these leads are coming in. You've improved their booking rate, um, mm -hmm. and so what's happening then to really move the needle to to increase the lead to opportunity conversion rate? Yeah. Well, I think the interesting thing is I think you're looking for like even more downstream into the CRM. But interestingly, what happened is the things that we were doing at the top of the funnel were affecting the lead to opportunity rate. We were sitting at, and I'll say one other thing, and then kind of tie it all together for you. But um, you know, we weren't doing an immense amount of like. Like I said, um, you know, email nurture flows and follow up email templates. Like we we weren't getting involved in that type of like activity at all, right? So that's not as much our our responsibility. But what we were doing is another the other big focus that um, led to this, and I'll share some actual numbers of like what the lead op conversion rate was before, and then six months later. Okay. But um, but at any rate, the other thing that we did too was. Uh, we really made sure that, um, and I think yeah, I said this before, really made sure that we were actually messaging more in channel. Um, so there's more consumption of the content in channel. And I kind of explained already how I did that. And the other thing that we didn't talk about was making sure that I was resolving uh, uncertainty that buyers felt in the retargeting layer. So after they'd already been to our website and they didn't convert and they didn't come in, I was trying to, we were trying to answer objections questions and ultimately provide some social proof so that they felt more confident with us. So by the time they got into being a lead, they converted at a much higher rate because they were so familiar with who we were as a brand. And of course, by the way, there's other things going on outside of paid media. Let's not be too like narrow vision. That's obviously right. our focus. There were other things that were happening outside of this, of course. Uh, but because they felt more certain through what we were doing on retargeting and the content we were in, the content messaging we were uh, distributing out in cold, uh, that was leading to a higher rate. And we had seen, I think when you first started working with them around 25%, uh, roughly 24, 25% uh, was the lead opportunity conversion rate. And that was driven all the way up to 74%. Wow. The last time I checked, at least this is, this is uh, before, I think when you asked me about this, I went to check the numbers again. So this is, I think last week or something like that, which is insanely high by the way. And, and just so everyone knows, this is a really important point. What's a lead, right? For them, a lead was a demo request. These were not any other type of conversion. That conversion would be crazy on any other type of asset. So these were not um, content downloads or webinars or any other type of asset. This was 100% high intent, hand raisers, people that already wanted to talk to sales. So, you know, naturally that conversion rate is going to be higher than say a content download, but that's kind of where we saw things move. And, and, you know, again, outside of that, we didn't get involved. I mean, obviously their team was doing some stuff on the RevOps side to optimize in-channel stuff within the CRM to make sure that the pass off from, you know, uh, sales to, from the, sorry, from the SDRs to the AE was fluid, that they had the right process so that when people actually asked for a demo, that they gave a demo, things like that. And we made these recommendations at a high level. We just don't get involved in like sure. actually doing that type of work, but it was like, all right, well, instead of asking them 20 questions, when they just asked for a demo, why don't we 
give them a demo and then do some discovery and start understanding a little bit more about their needs on the call while they're actually seeing the product. And that created for a much better experience and better aligned with the CTA. So things like that also helped push the needle forward too. But, um, but yeah, that, that's, that's kind of, that's, that's what we saw. I mean, I don't know, I guess combination of things I'm sure that affected that data, but, um, it, uh, it definitely ended up being really positive for those guys. Yeah. It's incredibly impressive because like you say, like when I thought of it, I, you know, I'm thinking like, Oh, let's jump to that stage in the funnel where that happened. Like, what did you tinker on? But like, this is all things you did in stages leading up to that, that just impacted this, you know, this percentage, like, you know, a 50% increase down funnel just by doing these things up funnel a little bit or top of funnel. Oh, hundred percent. Um, and then it leaves, you could, Oh, sorry. I was just yeah. going to say, it, it leaves all this room then for their team to take it and further optimize. I, like, I'm sure there's mm-hmm. a ton more they could do actually within that stage. Oh, 100%. And I mean, I, I mean, a perfect example of this is like, it's obvious that the lead opportunity conversion rate is going to increase. If you focus on the best fit clients for your business, your lead opportunity rate, just by nature of just doing that, should increase. Right. Versus you focusing on tons of people that maybe aren't a good fit for your product where they think you are fit, right? They get on the call, they start talking to you and they realize, yeah, you're not really what I was looking for, right? And so all those are not getting converted into opportunities. So the better we can do that targeting in the front end, the better we can affect that lead opportunity conversion rate. And then of course, where you were going is where, you know, a rev ops agency or the sales ops team is probably getting more involved. And, and there's a whole bunch of things too that you could do on that end to make sure things are kind of funneling through forward. But it's amazing just to see, even without, some of those major changes there that you can do a ton of uh, things on the front end and still affect a downstream metric. And that's always the important thing in my mind is that I think we get caught up and most marketers, we don't want to be held to anything that we don't really have a lot of control over. Right. Um, because it's like, well, I, I don't know, I, I can't really affect that, but sure. there's, there's this misconception that like, yeah, you can, like there are a lot of things that you can do differently to affect those downstream metrics. It's maybe not always easy to point and say, yeah, we did this and then it led to that perfectly. Even the scenario that I'm telling you now, I mean, there were other optimizations happening at the same time. So right. I, I, we can't take complete credit for moving moving the needle all the way there, but I definitely know it was part of it uh, because early on they weren't doing a lot of those things and we started to see that crease, you know, naturally. So, yeah. Um, and I, you know, and I think like one of the things that, uh, you know, that, that you said was like, it sounds like you're focused on not driving immediate, like first time they're seeing the ad to convert directly within LinkedIn, for example, or like come over to the website necessarily. You're giving time, like you're you're optimizing for like more impressions natively within the platform. It's giving them more time to think about it, more time to consume the message when they come over and then they're retargeted. It's even then not like book a demo right now. It's like, hey, here's some things you're probably thinking about or have right. questions about. We know you've been to the site, you know, and so like by the time they come over, uh, it seems like that what you're doing up front is means that they're coming with much higher intent at the end, which, you know, makes a ton of sense at why they're converting at a higher rate. That's the point. I mean, I, I mean, you're really still doing both, right? I mean, obviously, all the, I mean, what is a good click through, right? I mean, if you have one percent click through rate on LinkedIn, you're doing pretty good. Anything, anything better than one percent, you know, you're killing it. Um, and and frankly, even one percent is pretty pretty good. Uh, so that means ninety nine percent of people are not even clicking your ad and going to your website to look at your content. So it's just a matter of saying like, hey, let's just make sure that the ad that we're putting out that one percent or point five or point eight percent of people are going to click on. Let's just make sure the other ninety nine percent have an opportunity to consume some of the, the message, the material, et cetera, and channel. And there are really some easy tweaks. It's not, it's not terribly difficult. I mean, it can be as easy as literally taking, 
I don't know, everyone's doing guides and eBooks, right? All the time. So for folks listening and doing that, I mean, it's, it's really as easy as taking a graphic from that guide or eBook and putting a little message around it, something, a key takeaway with that graphic. And that, that'll probably be enough, honestly, to get them to pause, look at it and be like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Now I do know this, you know, and, and that potentially changes their perception. That might shoot them down a Google search where it's like, oh man, what is the deal with this? I don't know. I never knew that type of thing. Hmm. Or interestingly, it acts as a better hook and CTR actually goes up because you've given more of the information in the channel. And so, you know, it, it, it looks like, uh, something more interesting. So, um, let's, if, 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 do you have a minute, uh, for like, for one more question or you, if you have a, yeah, up, that's yeah, yeah. Fine. yeah, we can do one more. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. Um, I was going to just end with this one. What do you think most companies get wrong about, uh, you know, running ads and, and trying to sort of generate demand like you're doing, like what, what would be advice for listeners who do this? Like what, what's a common mistake that you see most get wrong? The biggest one is, uh, I think I was already kind of alluding to it, but the biggest one is saying this channel did this in isolation and totally separating it from the larger whole. And, and that, that's literally the number one thing, because as soon as we start to isolate one single channel, what happens is you say direct, organic, and searcher working, and nothing else works as well as those. So let's pull our money there. Hmm. I mean, almost always. And so the biggest mistake for me is, you know, getting over that hump and saying, okay, LinkedIn can be a channel for communicating a message, uh, getting really, really great distribution exactly to your target audience. And of course, getting conversions too, um, at the same time, but making sure that you judge the channels effectiveness based on some of the goals that you're trying to accomplish in the channel. And that's the really important thing. Yeah. Um, and a lot of times I just see that people come in with the dollars in dollars out mentality, you know, well, we spent a dollar on LinkedIn. So I want three out, mm -hmm. you know, and it, and a lot of times it just doesn't play out that way. And this is why you see, of course, so many people, um, I mean, this is the primary reason why most people run, run Legion forms and gated content predominantly. Um, uh, the big one is they just want the attribution of the channel so they can say, Hey, like LinkedIn did this, therefore X, Y, Z, right. And they've got perfect, then they can pass that data back into their CRM and then they work through their email nurture and, and their flow, which again, like there's a, ca a, a case in point to, to doing that, but. Um, but our focus has just been on making sure that ultimately we're just trying to um, affect the right metrics and do the right things in the channel, the way that people like to consume in those channels. And ultimately that ends up working for a lot of the clients we work with. And um, yeah, I mean, until then, I mean, we'll always be experimenting and trying to figure out some new stuff, which I'm sure I'll be, uh, there's always something, right, uh, to kind of change things up. But uh, course, for right now, it's, it's working well. Yeah, awesome. it is. Jonathan, this has been so helpful. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing all these insights. We really appreciate it. Yeah, 100%, man. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening. If you found this episode valuable, check out our other episodes or subscribe to get new ones. If you want to support the show, we'd love for you to leave a review or share it with someone. And if you want a tool to help you track and improve your business performance, try Databox, free at databox.com.